Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you are listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast, where we connect the dots for women's storytellers. Simply put, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And today I get to sit and chat with Sarah. She is on a mission to explore stories at the intersection of diversity, culture, and human potential. Her recent documentary, Deported, which she sold to NBC News, explores the global fight to end deportation. Whether it's behind the camera, producing, directing, and filming, or in front of audiences speaking on topics, including race and uplifting underrepresented voices in the media, Sarah proves to be a renaissance woman of the millennial generation whose talents can't be boxed in. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Siobhan. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me and dealing with my technical difficulties earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. It happens. It's the digital age we live in. <laughs> Absolutely. So I always like to start off with asking people, what does your typical day look like? Um, I know everybody varies because we are creatives. We are filmmakers. We wear a lot of different hats. So it's just always interesting to me to find out what your day looks like. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it definitely varies because I don't work in a nine to five structure. You know, I'm a free agent. I have my own boutique production company. I have a small business and I'm just constantly working on different projects, whether that's pre-production for um, a new film project or applying to a million grants. That's like the filmmaker's life, right? I feel like I've been doing grant writing and filling out all these proposals all quarter. Um, But I would say like, you know, a recent day I had this week was I I woke up and I had 11 a.m. meeting in Manhattan. I live in Brooklyn. And um, I was meeting up my business partner and a guest to interview them for a podcast project that we're developing, a radio documentary podcast project. So we were in the studio in Manhattan for about two hours and I was interviewing my guest asking them about their creative journey, very much like what you're doing with me, Siobhan. And then after the meeting, I got lunch with my business partner, and then we debriefed, you know, the interview, and we just kind of talked about some next steps for what we want to work on. And then I would come home, and then I have a home office. I have a whole room in my apartment dedicated to my workspace, and I would kind of um, catch up on my emails, um, follow up with folks, and then probably I was working on some some grants yeah I think right now I'm trying to get this Sundance proposal in by May 15th and I usually clock out mentally around the evening unless I have a major deadline I try to decompress and enjoy myself with a drink or a meal with 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 a friend or by myself yeah that's a full day (laughs) yeah oh and also some social media sprinkled in around there yeah that's a full day so (laughs) Just to go um, a little bit ahead, and it's not really about you um, being a filmmaker, but I did, because everybody knows who listens, I do a lot of snooping to just, you know, do research. Okay. Um, <laughs> you also are a, co- a co-owner of a restaurant. So how does that fit into the dynamics of being a creator? Yeah. Yeah. So I own a small, fast, casual Vietnamese American restaurant in Bushwick, New York with three other friends. And that is kind of like my entrepreneurial business hat 
you know, playing out, right? As a creative, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always trying to find ways to balance my creative life and my creative vision with just like sustaining myself in the realities of living in New York City, right? Right. So, so with the restaurant, you know, I signed on to the restaurant partnership to do all the storytelling. So it's very much so related to my passion for storytelling and also uplifting an underrepresented experience, which is the Vietnamese American experience and culture and food. So I, I handle everything from the PR to the marketing to all the communications and correspondence and original content and interviews and social media and storytelling and also creating um, original content, whether it's um, graphics or um, the branding or or visuals like in video content right mm-hmm. and so that kind of um you know that is also sprinkled throughout my day as well a little bit and that can vary depending on what we're working on so every day I'm checking the emails and handling correspondence um I also handle like some of the customer service correspondence in addition to just PR marketing and then I'll handle social media so just kind of like continuously engaging with our audience daily and then there's all the behind the scenes stuff where if things come up between me and my partners, uh, whether they need help, you know, developing a graphic for staff or they need help designing some merch or they want to talk about just bigger business strategy stuff that we all kind of get to be a part of mm-hmm. um, that can happen at any point. Yeah. OK, so it it fits into your creative hat. So that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. OK, so. I know that it's very important for you just looking at the work that you have done and especially the documentary Deported. Mm-hmm. I know looking um, in your background, because you know, research junkie. Um, yeah. Why do you feel like it was, it has been like your mission or it's important to you as a storyteller creative to uplift the underrepresented voices in media? Why is that mm-hmm. for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think just growing up as, you know, a Vietnamese American person in in Boston, Massachusetts, growing up as an Asian American, growing up as a woman and person of color, I always felt like my, you know, perspectives or my community or my family um, was underrepresented. Like, I, I never felt like I was reflected in media right I, I didn't feel like I was reflected in films or in tv or in magazines and I grew up in like the late 80s and 90s so like pre-internet age right where it was very much traditional media mm-hmm. and I I feel like growing up without that that sense of visibility you know something that can be so simple but so impactful like not having um reflections or or role models or representations of yourself or of your community or of your parents and family right it it really impacted me in a negative way it made me feel invisible in my everyday life in my school in my communities it it made me feel small it made me feel like I wasn't worthy or valuable and it it kind of stifled my voice in a lot of ways I had to work really hard as I got older to find my voice because you know, they say that the ages of one to, one to nine is when you're, um, are the most formative years of your life. And during those years, I just had no sense of confidence or affirmation through media, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think growing up with that, that feeling and that experience, and as I got older, 
you know, majoring in ethnic studies and Asian American studies and kind of understanding more about the history of communities of color in uh, America and understanding about the history of immigration and just understanding how, how different communities are marginalized or, or underrepresented in our system. Uh, it made me want to shift that culture and shift that, that um, I guess, framework to infuse my personal experience and also uplift the stories and perspectives of all those around me so that, you know, a young person today can feel affirmed and can feel confident and can feel valued by pure visibility, you know? Um, even just listening to, like, this podcast, right? Like, who knows how that can shape somebody's path or identity or voice, um, um, you know, in their formative years or even later in life, like you never know like how impactful sharing your story, your truth can be. And the more I grow and I find colleagues and peers, like even like yourself, Siobhan, who is creating this platform to connect women of color and the more visibility you bring to this reality, because it is a reality for us. It's just about who gets the shine, who gets the platform, right? The more visibility we can create, the more empowering it is for everyone around the world to be like if you see it you can believe it and you know that you can do it right yeah. and so I just really want to be a part of, of shifting the culture in that way so then how did you as um because I do agree with you with um your formative years like you know that defines you and your voice mm -hmm. so yeah you had a difficulty in that. So then how were you able to find your voice? Because your voice is very, it's very strong. It's very sure. And I know you had to work for that, but how did you find yeah. it? And then how did you translate it into storytelling? Mm. Thanks so much for saying that about my voice. I appreciate that. Um, I would say that things really started changing for me when I was in high school and I joined a youth activist organization called the Coalition for Asian Pacific American Youth, where I received mentorship in workshops and, um, you know, education around ethnic studies, around Asian American history, around um, the, Blink, the Black Panther Party, around, you know, I, I read Malcolm X's autobiography and Asada Shakur, and we learned about, um, you know, different social movements, like that type of consciousness raising for me at a young age really changed things for me and that really helped me find my voice and my confidence a little bit because for the first time being a teenager I started to receive the tools and the language to kind of like deconstruct how I was feeling around racism and how I was feeling around um, discrimination being like an Asian American person in Boston right a first generation Vietnamese American and then that just continued like after that and I also became very, so I became politicized and I also became involved in community organizing as a youth organizer in Boston, where I would really rally and mobilize with my, my peers to organize around issues like budget cuts in public schools, um, you know, youth violence, lack of summer programs, all these things. So that political engagement and that activism really helped me to find my confidence and my voice at a young age. And I pursued that path all throughout college. I I specifically applied to University of California, Los Angeles, because I knew they had the best Asian American studies program in the world, in the country and world. And I wanted to continue, you know, like this revolutionary consciousness building work. And I wanted to continue organizing on campus with other student activists. So that work itself, like really organizing and 
um, working with other like grassroots organizers and activists helped me to find my voice. And throughout that whole journey of my political activism, I was always a very creative person as well. So uh, while I was kind of like developing my critical, critical consciousness, I was also developing my voice through creative outlets like writing and spoken word poetry and filmmaking. And so that's where like the two kind of started to intersect. Okay. So then mm -hmm. tell us about Deported. Okay. So Deported is a five-part documentary um, that you can watch on NBCNews.com. And it, 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 it focuses on the issue of deportation within the Cambodian American community. And it takes the, the framework of the activists and the organizers who are working on the ground to end deportation, to fight for a right to return through the strategy of revising the repatriation agreement between the U.S. and Cambodian government, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it, it is about, while it is about the issue of deportation, and I do talk to folks who are affected, I talk to victims, I talk to victims' family members, I talk to folks who are deported in Cambodia, the main subject and the main like framework is activism, and it's activists and grassroots organizers, right? Because I wanted to kind of, while I was educating people about the issue and how harmful it is um, on the, the folks that it's hurting, I really wanted to kind of offer like a lens of empowerment as well in an agency to show the world like what is also being done about this issue and to show the world that Southeast Asian Americans are also at the forefront of the fight for immigration reform and to end deportation, right? Mm -hmm. So I follow this grassroots organization called One Love Movement as they organize around the country in Seattle at a national convening um, to talk about incarceration and detention and deportation. I follow them to Philadelphia where they host to the United Nations and the U.S. Human Rights Network to talk about um, the injustice around deportation. And I follow them to Cambodia where they brought a delegation of different U.S. organizers and activists to Cambodia to meet with folks who have been deported to offer leadership training and to also meet with the Cambodian government for the first time to talk about um, renegotiating the repatriation agreement, right? So activism was really at its core. And um, I filmed it, I filmed this, the documentary around late 2016 and it published 2017. And so it ended on a pretty positive note um, however, there's still so much happening in the world of detention, deportation, and um, the agreement still stands as is. That's good. <laughs> and then how did you, because I know they're like, Siobhan, you're so jumping around, but you um, were able to get this on NBC News. How as, because I know the indie filmmakers who are listening, are wondering mm -hmm. how did you get yourself in position to have your project on NBC News? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I had already worked on another, another I had already sold another documentary series to NBC News um, the year before. And so I already had a working relationship with them. And, you know, for anyone listening before that, I started out as a freelance writer for NBCNews.com, specifically for the vertical of NBC Asian America. So I was writing on a lot of topics related to the Asian American community and different Asian American issues and experiences. And then the vertical um, got some funding to launch a video platform. And the, the supervisor at the time 
just kind of stumbled upon my own documentary work on YouTube and just in her own research, you know, of different filmmakers who, you know, were, were doing great work and relevant work to their own platforms and putting it out there. She just came across my, my series, Maker's Lane, on YouTube, and then she reached out to me about if I was interested to work on something for her video platform with NBC News. And I said, yes, and that's exactly how that happened. <laughs> so I guess in a nutshell for anyone listening, like I think definitely there's a lot of like um, cold emailing and door knocking and pitching you got to do in this, and you know, this life of a freelance artist and a freelance filmmaker, like that process never stops. And then sometimes you get really lucky, you know, I think just continuing to create the work, Mm -hmm. you know, even when no one is paying attention and creating the work, even when no one is paying you, like I made that series on YouTube makers lane, like completely by myself. I got no funding for it. I made no money from it. I did it because I was really passionate about telling these stories. And I think just no matter where you are and no matter how much you're getting paid, I think continuing to create work to one challenge yourself creatively and two share with the world what your vision is. Um, that could also lead to some great opportunities. So, you know, you can't all, just always wait for someone to give you a paycheck to make a film. You should already be making films and then just doing the work all around that of pitching and selling yourself and making work and just showing and proving all the time. That's very good advice. I like that you said mm-hmm. that, like, um, for Maker's Lane that you you did it and you did it yourself. You didn't have funding. And I think that's the thing that discourages um, indie filmmakers because they don't just keep creating and right I think that's important like you have to create if you're not creating nobody knows you're out there exactly so you have yeah. your, your um, own production company can you mm-hmm. tell us why you decided to establish your own production company yeah, well, it's just a, I just call it a super boutique production company. It's just basically an entity where it's just easier for me, right, as an indie filmmaker trying to understand the business of filmmaking as well, right? Mm-hmm. So as I'm working on these bigger productions, right, I need to hire a crew, you know, I need to, um, you know, pay different people. And it, it was just easier for me to, at some point, create a business, right, instead of, um just myself right um and that also helps me think about how to approach my creative life in a more business oriented mindset right so if i have a production company that means i need to set up certain accounts and it means i need to assemble my team it means i want to grow you know and it means that i can pay people and i can help other people get paychecks too right? right so it was just kind of like a way for me to think about how to grow my my um creative mindset but also in a very like business savvy way okay I, mm-hmm. i'm so with you on that um you did does that make sense <laughs> yes i um that's my goal like i want to be able to green light other people's projects and like help other people so you just have to be official and handle your business so i agree with yeah you. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think it's like, okay, for anyone listening, who's like interested in pursuing this path, right? I think even on like a more like interfacing superficial way, right? If you can present yourself as like 
a production company you can present like all of your talent and all your services and all of your crew and you know the folks around you who you can like enlist in the work that means you have more opportunities i feel right and you can connect with more folks on different opportunities rather than sometimes right if you are only a film not only filmmaker but if you're presenting yourself as a filmmaker in the minds of others that could be a little limiting right because maybe not everyone needs a filmmaker but maybe sometimes people couldn't use a production company to assist with xyz films right it's just like a piece of presentation and marketing and and packaging for just like the business side of filmmaking life yes um So before we wrap up, I would like to ask you, because you are very uh, aware and conscious of social justice issues, but I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask you your opinion. How do you get people to care about issues that you care about, especially Mm -hmm. in the overload of um, digital media era we are in right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I'm still trying to figure that out, right? Like, mm-hmm. I still have multiple times where I'm like, oh, do people think I'm ODing on this issue? <laughs> or like, oh, are people going to, are they going to start tuning me out? Because, you know, it's not a priority for them to care about XYZ issue. So I'm not, I'm still figuring out, but I do think about this. And I think about, you know, one of my approaches is to think about the audience and, you know, find ways to connect with them on a more universal um, way. So maybe like, maybe not everyone will care about detention or deportation because maybe they feel removed from it, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe I can connect them on, on human values of like family and like, um, you know, an American dream and, you know, the, 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 the desire to be here and work hard and, you know, values around just like the human experience, I'll try to bring out and I'll try to like highlight to maybe connect with people in an empathetic way. That's one thing that I try to think about when I want to, um, you know, um, connect with people. And then there's also a part of me sometimes that just doesn't care, you know, about, right. right? Like I'm just gonna talk about what I'm passionate about because it needs to exist and needs to be out there and you know what if you want to tune me out like that's fine you know what I mean like I I can there are a lot of people in the world who I can enlist in my mission a lot of people in the world who want to hear what I want to say you know so it's a balance of like finding creative ways to reach an audience beyond your own right because as I really want to make a real impact I gotta expand beyond like my community that already agrees right I got to try to reach people and like shift minds and shift culture and thinking about ways to do that along the lines of like connecting human values and it's also a balance of like you know what not worrying too much about that and just doing what I feel the world needs and hoping that it's going to resonate with the people who do need it absolutely I agree yeah sometimes (laughs) you just have to be like "Mm, I don't care (laughs) right exactly Exactly, because you're, you're never going to be able to please everybody. Like, no. it's never going to happen. No, yeah. you're not. So are there um, any good shows or books you are, well, shows you're watching, books you are reading? I always ask everybody, mm-hmm. what are you watching right now, and what are you reading right now? Mm. Well, right now, um, we started talking about this earlier before the call. Um, but yeah, I'm really into Westworld right now because the season just got started. Season three just started a few weeks ago. 
and it's you know I think there are three episodes out and so I'm really really into Westworld I think the cinematography is just so stunning I think the storytelling is incredible and it just touches upon you know these ideas around technology and artificial intelligence and like where we may or may not be heading in this world of ours mm-hmm. so I'm really into Westworld I would recommend it um I also love um Issa Rae's Insecure and HBO you know I'm I, I'm waiting for the new season I watch every single one I've been following her since she was like on YouTube like since yes. she dropped <laughs> very first Awkward Black Girls on YouTube like I think it was like 2011 right and I remember yeah. thinking like this, this is so hilarious right and now to see her do her thing on HBO with Insecure it's incredible and like even recently I went back to watch her earlier like productions of Awkward Black Girl like her very first episode in like her very first few seasons and the production value was so wonk you know it was so mm-hmm. whatever it was, everything was blown out so much overexposure like you know it was so makeshift but that was what was so cool about it because sometimes it's not even about the production value you don't need to get it perfect but if your voice and your vision is clear and it's strong which I do believe it wasn't there I mean clearly it shows like it's gonna people are gonna people will see your talent they will see your vision and they will see your potential and then they're gonna give you like that check like HBO did to do it like the way that you've always wanted to do it, you know? So I think she's a huge inspiration and I, I genuinely enjoy her show and her writing. I love the characters Insecure. In terms of reading, um, I'm not reading any books, but I do subscribe to The Atlantic and The New York Times, you know, the paid subscription. I think it's very important to pay and support these, um, these media websites so they can continue doing the good work they do. And I really love The Atlantic. I love the articles. I love the stories they post. And those are like my, my top two, like daily reading my New York Times and the Atlantic. Okay. So I'm definitely going to have to check out the show since we were yeah. talking about it earlier. And then yeah. you have to let everyone know how they can keep up with you and how they can stay connected with you. Yes. Thank you for asking. So I am most active right now on Instagram. My Instagram handle is one ounce gold spelled out O-N-E-O-U-N-C-E. G-O-L-D, one ounce gold. Um, I don't post photos as much because I'm not the best at my social media management, but I'm always on the story. So a lot of my day-to-day life is on there. And then you can also find me on Facebook and everything is is connected to my website, which is just saravang.com. S-A-H-R-A-V-A-N-G.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on. Like, I'm so excited that we got to talk. (laughs) And yeah, Siobhan, thank you so much for creating this space and this platform, this community for us. I really love what you're doing, and I can't wait to see it grow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, for real. It's really great. So y'all know the drill. Until next time, don't talk about it. Be about it.